This episode of the Good Ship Brothership is brought to you by ponies. When you don't have space for a horse, of course, a pony can be twice as nice. Head on over to our website right now at www.acquireponies.gov to receive a two-for-one on your first string of ponies. Just saddle up these bad puppies and head west. Load them up with fur, spices, and firearms, and make your home in the new country. Ponies. One is never good enough. And now on with the show. Have you seen the Eric Andre, Larry King interview? Yeah, I have. That's one of those, like, But Larry King is interviewing Eric Andre. Right? Yeah, but, but then Eric Andre yeah. interviews him. It's on the Larry King show. Yeah. Yeah. But it's then Eric starts to ask Larry about Yeah. Like him. Yeah. Okay, hi. <laughs> if you're hearing this, it means we've made the podcast uh applications work. We just checked moments before we started to record the show. The new episode's <sighs> not up on Stitcher. Uh we've had people telling us it's not on iTunes. So now I understand why our uh, numbers were so low. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? None usually, of you have access. Usually, to our it. album of the year podcasts are like our best trafficked episodes ever, and then this one was like very low. And I was like, oh, well, I guess nobody likes us anymore. Whatever. Um, so that speaks volumes to the fact that we just do this for ourselves. That we're here again because yeah, that we, last episode was a major bomb. So far. yeah. Um, but if you're hearing this, I guess we resolved that. And sorry for the delay. Like, where are people? Where are people listening in? One or two people like, streamed it off our website, and then someone somewhere is Google it. playing it. Maybe yeah, I haven't looked on Google Play. It might be there. Hmm. Um, so do we do like we don't have much to talk about in terms of books, movies, games, um, ancillary things that we've been experiencing? Well, we don't. I don't. Is there much since last time? Like I'm still playing. I've been. I'm still playing Muramasa. I finished it, but I have a bunch of cleanup stuff to do. I've still been playing through Half-Life 2, which I talked about last time. Um, I mean, most of the stuff that I've watched is uh, what we're going to be talking about today. I've been I've been pretty uh, pretty active in terms of my consumption. I mean, not uh, hasn't I haven't been like prolific in consuming high quality content. You could say I. I go through spates where I watch like a lot of terrible movies on Netflix. I had a a stretch like probably a month or so ago where I just sought out and watched every single late 90s to early 2000s vampire hunting movie that I could find because they're all amazing. Like they're all people in the scorching, searing Arizona desert wearing full-length black leather trench coats and small oval shaped 2000 sunglasses i just don't know why you'd want to do that oh it's so good dude like it's so like you just sit there and watch it and your mind just goes somewhere else also get yourself ready for a gabber jabber there's some good stuff on here oh yeah there's amazing we'll do that mid uh mid episode but i to today i watched a movie called source code starring jake gyllenhaal which is a really fun I pretty much just watch anything with Jake Gyllenhaal in it. Have you ever seen a bad movie with Jake Gyllenhaal in it? Yes. Which one? Prince of Persia. Oh, okay, true. I haven't watched that, but... Uh... I, I saw Prince of Persia, like, years and years and years ago. I think it was on... It was either on Netflix or it was on one of our more unscrupulous 
television services. Yeah, uh, where where I saw that and then watched it and was like. It was one of those movies where as soon as the credits roll, like, everything you just saw just gets wiped from your memory. I guess he looks vaguely Persian. He doesn't. But... He does not. Vaguely He doesn't. <laughs> like... <laughs> he uh... does not look Persian at all. He looks like a handsome American. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I... It seems like an odd choice. The casting was not the I would say that, yeah. I watched a film mm-hmm. called Traffic. Starring... That looks bad just from the thumbnail. Is it bad? Um. Okay, so it stars Benicio del Toro, who is a really is that a Mexican joke? Huh? Okay, so yes, that yeah, like, you're super funny. Sorry, it's from the year two thousand. I regret that, unironically. <laughs> you should. It's it's also very two thousandsy, and it kind of it's a triptych story uh, about kind of the drug it's very war on drugsy it's about how drugs these the gangs who are smuggling the drugs from mexico to the u.s it's about the cops in mexico who are trying to stop the smuggle of illegal drugs kind of like with these guerrilla tactics and it's about the politicians in america one in particular played by uh, who is that who won two academy awards yeah it can't be too bad played by uh a man and his family as you know his daughter faces her own drug problems and it's it's okay it it uh has a lot of moving parts and it kind of fails in some regards as you can see there where we have the netflix preview kind of it has really heavy-handed uh it's color grading incredibly every time you see the american family the rich political family it's, it's like that everything is blue like and i don't mean a Grant's little blue. pointing at the screen and it's very the the color balance I is don't, very cool and i don't mean a little blue like i very... mean everything is blue for the whole time no matter what's going on and that actually drove me crazy because it just it's not really respectful to the viewer when you do something like that i mean i get that you have a a vision you're trying to get across I don't know, Mexico is, you know, the heat of the moment, the heat of, well, the heat of this crisis, and then America is so detached from it. I don't know, but it just really wore me out. And then I also watched Hereditary, which is a horror movie that got, also, just returning to traffic briefly, didn't deserve any Oscars. These are Academy Awards. Didn't deserve Oscars? That's the same. Oscar. Oh. Yeah, it's an Oscar is an Academy Award. Why? I don't know. Okay. Anyway, uh, I watched Hereditary, which was nominated for an Oscar, and for somebody who doesn't like horror movies, I I enjoyed it a bit more than I thought it would. It was, you know how all horror, well, you, you've probably seen even fewer than I have, because I watch these critically acclaimed ones. I've with, watched fewer than five. I've I've probably watched around, like, a few and more it's a than hazy five. line. Is the new It a horror movie? maybe maybe not like just by object objectively i'd say yeah it probably is a quiet place no 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 No. but that's the difference is i think i think one of the key thing one of the key components that makes up the recipe of like this is a horror movie is there is a specific entity that is targeting a specific person or group of people and for A Quiet Place, I don't want to spoil things. We won't do it too heavily. But, I mean, 
you find this out really early on. The Earth is infested with these alien-type creatures, and they're hunting, like, everybody. Yeah. So, I mean, zombie stuff can be horror and all that, but it's not the same horror element as, like, It, where you have Pennywise the Clown, who is a manifestation of It, and he he is, like, hunting down these kids, right? We got. I gotta watch the movie. It's it is awesome. I hate the fact that it's called it, because you just refer to it in every conversation, and it never gets better. Because then you're suddenly very cognizant of the word it. But yeah, it horror movies are always a little corny, and this one was no exception. But there were some moments in it where I was genuinely, and I'm never like this. I was like, "Ooh, that's kind of fun. It's kind of kind of scary." It's it's a million times scarier than it, as opposed to The Shining, where you watch The Shining, and you're like, I don't like. This. No, you watch The Shining, and you're like, man, that was kind of spooky. And then like two <laughs> days later, you're just like bathed in you're sweat, like beaded in sweat, like like talk about just damaging you. And it's not. I mean, it's not like it's the most terrifying experience ever, but it just it really delves into your psyche. And for days afterwards, the fear of the movie like does compound the scariest movie I've ever seen was the wailing. That was, ta- I will never, ever, ever watch that movie ever again. Left me feeling like a dirty in my soul. I do want to watch. We Sometime we should do a double bill or like a, just a double review of uh, Rosemary's baby and children of the corn. Cause I feel like those are two kind of quintessential horror movies that I've never seen. Children of the Corn is my favorite movie about Minnesota. Children of the Cornhole. That okay. That would be great. There is a, a documentary about Prodigy. <laughs> that's exactly what Prodigy Child Cornhole. No, player. just just professional level cornholists and call it Children of the Cornhole. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you're listening to this Netflix, we are looking to option. And we can slam a beanbag through a round <laughs> hole like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> a sheet of plywood. Okay. Anyway, and then the others. I've been reading lots of stuff. I'm reading way too too many books at once. I've been playing through Odin Sphere Left Thrasher still. I just, just achieved one of the endings today. It was fun. It had an inconsistent difficulty to me, though. There were a couple bosses mid-game that were, like, one in particular that was, like, incredibly difficult. And then I, like, beat the last boss on my first try. I feel like, to an extent, you gotta... I usually end up Googling with those games, like, which difficulty people are taking. Because at the end of the day, I'm not a huge tryhard. I don't need all my games to be really difficult. But you get... Like, usually I play games on normal or whatever. Then you come across a game like Muramasa, this game I'm playing, and its two modes are like, for people new to action games, sit back and enjoy the story. And then the other one is like, for people who have played Muramasa before, every step will be a grueling challenge. It's yeah. like, what? You're like, but wow, there, seem, there seems to be some availability for a middle ground there. But the harder <laughs> difficulty was the right choice, and it yeah. was like, not a Dark Souls level challenge, but it was harder than the average game, and I felt like that was right for the type of game it is. Normally, I feel like games, you know, not to be all Colin Moriarty, but games are too easy. Yeah. They just are now. They're they're way too easy. And I kind of felt that way with Muramasa, or no, sorry, Odin Sphere. But at the same time, I was getting into bed after a long long day and i play like 15 minutes of it and it was satisfying to combo the crap out of people there is that too and 
you know, I don't know. I, I still had fun with it. There's a definite space for games that just make you feel like a hero, even though you've done nothing to yeah. deserve it. Like Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dark Souls makes you feel like a peon, which is a great word. Go for it. Ready? Legitimately, really curious to hear what you think of our film choice. <laughs> uh, I think I know what you think of it. What do you think I think of it? Why would I tell you that? That's just giving you ammo. Okay, here's why. Because otherwise, if I say first, then you can say whatever you want. We, my thing's written down. We need your answer on the books. I just need a guarantee or an affidavit or something that you won't change your opinion. Do a complete 180 pivot. Because <laughs> that would be legendary if I just completely spewed out the opposite of what I think because you nailed my impression. Because I doubt you'll be right, but I don't know. What do you You're think? aboard the Good Ship Brothership. What is what is the Good Ship Brothership? I'm uh, about to tell you uh, as we're 13 minutes in here. <laughs> the Good Ship Brothership is the only arts podcast to cover film, music, gaming, literature, and... <laughs> Wood lathes. Oh, thank you. In-depth consumer reviews of different kinds of wood lathes. I like this one for shaving the wood. <laughs> you don't. You don't shave. You lathe. I like this one for that, lathing the okay, wood. That would be a good T-shirt. <laughs> you do not shave. I don't you shave. Lathe. I lathe. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Okay, oh, that could be an official Children of the Cornhole shirt. Carpenters, yeah. Carpenters of USA. <laughs> the national carpenters conference hit us up jason just stripped off his shirt i just took off my socks it's about to get well gross. i'm not shirtless i have a shirt on yeah, underneath took, my shirt that's an undershirt i took the outer shirt off okay so what are we talking about today jason today we are talking about first of all the 2016 album by the slackers entitled the slackers no it's not their first album they've been together for like 20 years when they put this out and then we're also talking about Charlie Kaufman's 2004 film entitled Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, starring none other than our good friend, James Carey. Yep. And also... Uh, Caitlin Winslet. Distant relative by proxy. Our second cousin is somehow related like, to Jim Carey. I, like, told, I told... We gotta ask I told my that. coworker Dan that the other day, and he just straight up wouldn't believe me. I'm yeah. like, dude, I'm, I'm serious. We have I'm like... Dan, why would I make that up? I'm not saying I've ever met the guy. Or that. Yeah, I, that's what I said. I said his own second cousin's never even met. Yeah, but he my has, second cousin he has never. something signed by him. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, which is cool. So J- we have Jim Carrey. We have a connection with Jim Carrey more so than any other Hollywood actor that we know of. Maybe Tom Cruise is our father. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa! I always knew I was a Scientologist for yeah. a reason. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in order to in order to, I've missed flipping the puppet. We're gonna flip the puppet, and obviously, I would say face up would be the the album. No, no, you're wrong. But Dude, he's think about how he's nicely. Asleep. Dude, no. Okay, look at this. Okay, look at this. Okay. Look at how nicely this. Yeah, that's true. Mirrors this iconic okay. scene okay. in Eternal Sunshine. You're right. Well. Okay. So if the puppet's face, if it, the puppet's no, face, I up, like how if even, the puppet's face even, up, we'll review the film. Even our oldest listeners have. Absolutely no idea what we're talking about. Has when anyone we see ever seen the, the puppet? puppet? Um, I can't remember if we posted about it. Okay. What a weird. Okay. okay. Well, <laughs> talking about the slackers. Do you, you want to go first or shall I? Um. That's a slacker song. Um. 
Why don't I go first? Okay, go. Okay, so let me just read this Wikipedia entry, sparse <clears throat> though it may be. It, the there's not much information about the Slackers online, relatively. Because we have literally no information about this particular album on Wikipedia, which is our go-to source. Which is kind rock of rock and roll. It's crazy. I'm just going to read the Slackers' actual Wikipedia biography. The Slackers are an American ska band formed in Manhattan, New York in 1991. The band's sound is a mix of ska, rock steady, I have no idea what that is, reggae, dub, soul, garage rock, and jazz. That's fair, actually. Slackers' notability is credited to their prolific career, tours of North America, Europe, and elsewhere, and signing to notable punk label Hellcat Records, which I think... Oh, it was started by the the guy from Bad Religion. Bad Religion, yeah. I thought that it was started by a rockabilly. Oh, and a and, uh, guy from Rancid who yeah, guested on an Interrupter song. Oh, well, there you go. The members of the Slackers have been known to perform in other bands and musical projects, including Reggae Workers of the World. That's amazing. David Hilliard and the Rocksteady 7. Crazy Baldhead Sound System. That's awesome. The Whole Thing, The Hall Trees, Stubborn All-Stars, and the ska scandalous all stars scandalous. scandalous yeah but with ska in capitals mm-hmm. at the beginning of scandals yeah, i get it vic ruggiero performs that's probably not how you say it, pronounce that performs as a solo act performing both original compositions as well as reworked slackers songs and there's a whole lot of slackers i googled it and there's like a bunch of them this is interesting the band's second album, Red Light, released on September 23rd, 1997, was ranked number seven in Billboard editor Carrie Bell's The Year in Music 1997 list. The album's track with the same name charted at number 116 on the week of November 10th, 1997, the song's third week in CMJ Radio Top 200. I don't know what that means, but... So before you start your review proper... Interesting. I do want to just say that uh, I heard about the Slackers because I listen to podcasts all the time at work, and I was listening to a podcast that had almost nothing to do with music. It was a like uh, finance and business podcast, um, and the podcast they were talking about Spotify as a business and stuff. So the guys were just like shooting the breeze. The hosts about like, oh, what music are you listening to? And the one guy said like, I really like reggae and ska, so I've been listening to this band called the Slackers. And I was just fresh off the high of the Interrupters, which if you haven't heard our 2018 album of the year discussion, I really like the Interrupters album. It's this really energetic uh, combination of reggae, ska, rock, punk, although mostly more rock than really true reggae. Um, So I thought that would be cool. Let's check this out. So I just clicked on the, the slackers on Spotify and I picked, I think this is their most recent album. It's a 2016 album. And as you just heard there, they've been together for 25 years before that. So we have, well, Grant's listened to a little bit of their old stuff, a wee bit, but we have essentially no bearing on where the bands come from. We're just reviewing this album in isolation, I guess. Yep. So my, uh, my intro, my, I'll preface this by saying reggae and ska, really, really not my genre. I don't consider myself somebody who somebody who confines myself within genres per se, but, but it's, there's something really, ska and reggae are really coriander genres to me. And also 
Ska and reggae, hardly a difference. One is just more upbeat than the other. And has yeah. more band members in it and a horn section. You know. Um, I'm sure somebody who knows about the genres would take issue with that. They're probably crapping themselves. I can't, uh, I can't really discuss that. But, yeah, just really not musical genres that I enjoy or seek out ever. It's kind of like big band blues to me like that. It's uh, There's something really polished normally about it that I guess I take exception to. Big band blues or reggae to. and ska? Both. Both. Like some reggae is so rough around the edges. Yeah, but that's that's some um, reggae without the ska inflections, right? Or or that's old school reggae. Um, yeah, like the new, true the, school stuff. Yeah, like, like Bob that. Marley. Yeah, it's really rough around the edges. But anyway, it's just kind of limp, limp music to me. But however, the Slackers immediately when this album kicks off differentiate themselves in like a couple key areas the first being that their musical presentation has a lot more of a rock and roll kind of swing and a swagger to it than ska and reggae normally do so much so that i'm i don't know if you really consider them ska and reggae i mean the wikipedia page said it best when they said they have like garage rock and jazz mixed in there heavily they do, but definitely, I think it's just the strength of the flavor of that kind of that kind of syncopated guitar, the horns that kind of pop in and out. Mm-hmm. It, anybody who would listen to this with an untrained, unpo- unpolluted ear would say it's probably reggae, because more people know what reggae is than ska. But... Uh, so the first thing that came out at me was that kind of rock and roll swagger that they had. And the second thing was these really these really noir kind of lyrics. Not at all about working a hard day or, you know, your woman's cheating on you, whatever. I don't know what reggae people sing about. Weed. Mostly. <laughs> Ska. I don't even know. But they're, you know, the uh, second track, Lying Dead in the Street. It's very noir. And that, I did not realize it till I googled the lyrics like an hour and a half ago. I was like, "This guy's talking about this person dying, and he's completely fine with it." And like, yeah, yeah. And a lot of them, "Spin I'm In" is also like that. Uh, I think "Go Go Go" is kind of like that as well. Um, a lot of them, a lot of them, do just have this kind of noir, morbid kind of edge to them that I honestly found really refreshing and gave the band and the music a character of its own that they definitely wouldn't have had if they just sang love songs or something of that of that ilk in that specific very specific way and only that specific way it's almost reminiscent of bahamas in that it's very feel-good music by sound but not necessarily by the writing Although this even more so than Bahamas. I'd say this is an extremely feel-good album sonically, but it's a dark album lyrically, which is kind of, here, we're going to art school for a second, guys. You know what I'm going to say? No. It's an interesting juxtaposition. Oh, there we go. Um, part of this rock, part of the part of the thing that stands them apart, I think, from your average run-of-the-mill ska band is that they don't have 
one of those yelpy, high-pitched singers who's affecting some sort of a Jamaican accent. Love their singer's voice. Their singer really does just bear this pleasing Mick Jagger-esque vocal quality. Just enough, something, not too much. Something in the kind of nasal roughness of his voice. He really, like, you, you really will hear Mick Jagger in this. I'm a big Rolling Stones fan. And, uh, but I didn't find it sacrilegious or, or Greta Van Fleety. It's not too much. It's really not too much. He's really not trying, I don't no. think. I just think he sounds a bit like Mick Jagger. And, and in some of the instrumental passages, uh, you can also hear a kind of Stones-like vibe from from later Rolling Stone stuff where they were kind of trying to experiment and stretch out and try like when they're trying disco or ska for that matter mm-hmm. reggae you you hear that in kind of the these swirling organs and those stripped down beats but but you know you can mm-hmm. tell the drummer's hitting those drums hard yeah you know? that's what I was going to say the most straight laced songs on this album have beats that sound like something that Charlie Watts is that his name yep Sounds like something that Charlie Watts would Charlie do. Charlie Watts? I, it that sounds right. Charlie is definitely his first name. You don't think it's Watts? No. I'm going to Google it. Uh, the Rolling Stones drummer, it sounds like the Rolling Stones drummer a little bit. Yeah. And and the and the instrumentation really does too. And the kind of like how, how the instruments kind of meander past and through each other. But they still they still have a unity about them. It's not like... They aren't purposefully trying to, you know, play all these different complex parts, uh, you know, in order to give their music some sort of intellectual credi- credibility. Excuse me. Instead, it's just a bunch of really good musicians who know how to play nice together. And all, all of the Rolling Stones comparisons and stuff is is truly just high praise for me because I think the Rolling Stones are really, or have been, lol really excellent songsmiths. That being said, there is a certain Rolling Stones magic that is missing from the songs. I'm not saying for one second that these guys are as good as the Rolling Stones, because they're not. But they do have kind of a nice passing resemblance that gives their music a certain charm and a quality to it. Charlie Watts was the drummer for the Charlie Watts. Wow. Yeah, I don't know why that sounds so wrong. They had me. another dude uh, from '62 to '63 only, yep. and then Charlie Watts stepped in. Yep. from there. That's correct. Uh, and then another another triumph, I think, of the Slackers and this album in particular is that they do manage to spin a shocking many shades of emotion out of syncopated horns and guitars and flourishing. Hammond B3 organ sounds. You got, you know, some intrigue, some melancholy, that like rock and roll masculinity, and a certain kind of sexy flair to their music that, again, I wouldn't normally find in within these genre trappings. I do not think of ska or reggae as sexy music. And this is where, I don't know how much we've talked about it on the podcast before. I'm sure at some point we have, but certainly off the mic all the time. We moan about how, at the end of the day, I understand you need to classify music, but on the other side of the coin, genreification is kind of stupid. It's very stupid. It's very so. We gotta. We need to use these these catch all phrases to describe music, so you guys kind of know what we're talking about. 
But at the same time, it's kind of dumb and reductive to even have to try and be like, well, it's like reggae, but it's not like reggae because you're right. It has sounds that I've never heard out of any out of anything else, which is really actually kind of cool. Yeah. And and piggybacking off of that, it the album really is as musically varied as any in terms of its dynamic, you know, rock and roll or you know more energetic songs slower songs songs that are a bit more subdued you do get it all here uh it's just that again within this within this style that they enjoy you don't get again in the genre of reggae or ska you don't get big tempo changes or anything so don't don't go looking for that it's not like a pink floyd album or a Kendrick Lamar album where you've got huge seismic shifts in the tempos and keys and moods of a song. But they paint with really sophisticated shades the dynamics throughout this album. And that... I'll I'll listen to this again, I think. I want to get a better handle on it. <coughs> well, excuse me. And, and just... In closing, uh, the Slackers feel less like a genre act, you know, less like a tribute, and more like a band that's inhabiting a melting pot of eras, and they do that with great success. Uh, The album closer, Spaceman 3104. Such a good song. Really does have like a Ziggy Stardust flair, I think from that Bowie era and uh but again it's very subtle if they were making a deliberate tribute it's very skillfully constructed nothing hits you over the head it's just uh it's just the inflections of a very of what is clearly a very skilled band and uh a bunch of really good players who like playing together so i i i really enjoyed this album is it going to be like one of the best things that i hear this year no, it's not going to be one of my favorites, but I do think that there's something there's they've got an X factor. They've got something that's that's really cool. It certainly makes me want to delve into the band's like history and their backlog or discography. Um because I was saying to Grant like right before we turned the mics on that the album doesn't really sound like something made by a band that was 25 years old. And I mean that in a good way. Like, if it's tight and everything, but it feels, like, fresher. I don't know. It's That's just... the word I would use, too. So I really want to see, like, what do these guys sound like in the 90s and the early 2000s? I'm, I'm dying to know, and I haven't really gotten a chance to dig into that yet. Um, but let me... I'm just looking over my notes, because I don't really want to uh, tread over what you're saying too much. Uh, okay. Oh. Yeah, so I mean, one thing that I think maybe we kind of disagree on is the opening track. I think the opening track is way too draggy and slow and repetitive. Um, and I feel like the album would be not like massively, but I think the album would be noticeably improved if you just snip cut the first track and just dropped us in a track two to open the album. It would have been so nice. I don't. I don't hate that opener. Do I think the album would be stronger without it? Quite possibly. It would be an instance of trimming the fat, but I don't think that it's like... like what's another album 
a good album with a horrific opener. Man, I was just I was just listening to one the I other day. It's horrific, but it's like mm, you know. No, I know, but I, I like there's one album specifically um, that I can't think of right digital now. Digital Ash and a Digital Urn by Bright Eyes. I almost yeah. always just skip uh, Time Code, the first song, and go to Goldmine Gutted. I think yeah. is the second track. Not because Time Code is bad, and it's the same thing with the Slackers. The opening track isn't bad, but it's just like. I always just want to hear the second it's track. It's really so drawn I'm just going yeah, to start there. When bands try and do that kind of slow build into the album. And it's kind of cool. I respect that. But uh, the second track, uh, By the Time I Get to Sleep, is so nice. I wrote down here, is it really is like chill yet upbeat. And that's like the one of the themes of this album. Laid back. Yeah. One of the themes of this album, not all the way through. Sometimes they pick up the pace. Sometimes they back off. But the consistent uh, toe through the whole album, T-O-W, not like a, a foot appendage, is Ew. that uh, it's not, the whole toe through the whole album <laughs> is that uh, it is laid back, but at the same time energizing, um, which I think is very cool. Do you have a track listing there? Mm, I can get one. Because right, I think I, I wanted to kind of highlight my favorite tracks Okay. while uh, I think of it. Here, hang on. This is the best podcasting ever. It is really good. This is excellent. Mm, you come here often? No, not as often as I should. Okay. So the opening track is The Boss. We both agree that it's not amazing. By the Time I Get to Sleep is definitely one of my favorites. Spin I'm In is also very good. Yeah. I Want to Be Your Girl is potentially my favorite. Really? Yep. Pockets of a Rich Man is okay. Uh... And then I I really do like Spaceman thirty one oh four. You gotta admit, there is not I would say there are two tracks of fat on the album, maybe. Um and by far the biggest one's the opener. But it's a really consistently good and I yeah. I've been saying this about quite a few of the albums we've talked about recently. Um, although I know I'm very hot and cold. I feel like every time I review an album I'm either like they should have cut five tracks or I'm like, <laughs> This is a fantastic album. But it's like what they say uh, about movie, shake it and twenty minutes will fall out. Yeah. Pretty much any album, shake it and two tracks will follow. But by and large, there's not much on this album that I don't look forward to. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, okay, and this is true of this album. You know you have a great album on your hands when, say, you're on track two or track three. And you want to listen to, like, track seven or eight. So you start skipping through tracks and you go, ah, oh, I can't skip this. Yep. I love this song. Earth Tones, you go through, Yeah, exactly. Earth tones, like you try and get to way with words. I just want to listen <laughs> exactly. to way with words. <laughs> That's exactly what I was. I just thinking. want to listen to way with words. I can't do it. I need to listen to Show Me Naomi. I need to listen to Alone, the opener. I need to listen open to No act, Expectations. Open No yeah. Wrong. I just can't literally, anything on literally it. everything between between way with words and the opener. Okay, let's just let's just review Earth tones again. Yeah. yeah no. Agree. Okay. <laughs> but with this album. All that to say, it is one of those albums where it's hard to skip through a big chunk of it because, like, I want to catch these vibes, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, one thing I think is interesting um, in our discussion here is to take a minute to compare the slackers with the interrupters. Um, and I'm sorry if you guys haven't listened to the interrupters because you didn't hear our last episode or whatever. I've been really into them lately. But I think in some ways they're very similar because they both have these ska and reggae vibes. And I would classify them both at the end of the day as feel good. Like it's music that boosts your spirits, even though it's very different. You know, the interrupters is more, 
kind of like aggressive. The Slackers is kind of dark lyrically, but the music is yeah. still cheery enough that I feel it, like it they, cheers me up. They really inverted their lyrical content and their musical content didn't from they? the inter- from the interrupters. You'd the interrupters that, is like you'd think that the interrupters, which is like a classic rock band lineup, guitarist, bassist, drummer, and singer. Yeah. Whereas the Slackers has like that horn section, they definitely have a full time organ slash keyboard yeah. player. And they've got that laid back vibe to them. I think that that is actually part of the appeal of both bands, is the juxtaposition of the lyrics. The interrupters have really, at the end of the day, by and large, quite uplifting lyrics. Not always, you know, you got She Got Arrested and She Got Arrested in that song, um, which is a bummer for her. But by and large, you know, it's like we're all in this together. Like, you got to fight for, fight like a title holder. Don't let the world knock you down. Um, And I think that in that regard, like you said, they're kind of complementary. But then you take see the interrupter takes these the interrupters take these reggae and ska vibes and they run with them like cranking up the gain, um, pushing up the energy, increasing the tempo, and really like driving this to its logical endpoint, high energy wise. Yep. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the slackers kind of take it and slow it down, mellow it out, get you chill moods, smoke a joint. I don't smoke a joint. I don't smoke anything except for the Bible. <laughs> But I imagine that's something that one might do while they listen to this. Um, you've, and, been no, you've been known to have a cigar or two, Jason. You have a problem. Yeah, you I, need, I smoke constantly. Yeah, <laughs> I have one in each nostril right now. It's disgusting. Um, it's tough to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get customers look at me weird in the store like that. But, you know, that's just showbiz, just baby. <laughs> part of the smoke life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, gross. Um, I loved the composition of the songs I think are actually really fantastic. Like you said, you already touched on most of like the horn section and the organ and stuff like that. This music is really layered, but unless you think about it, it doesn't seem as though it is because, and I think this is my unscientific opinion is that most of these layers are like simple enough and slowed down and chilled out enough that you can hear everything all the time, pretty clearly separated which is pretty neat. You listen to something like, uh, okay, let's go to the extreme, or like say Kendrick Lamar, and there's all these different samples and layers. There's so much going on. You're you're never gonna hear it all, short of like isolating stuff like Song Exploder style. But with the uh, with this album, you can really hear all the different tracks, and I think that's kind of neat. I think that that almost ha- from a musician, somebody who's been in bands and stuff, that to me speaks of. So let's say you've got The National, who are a band that, you know, layers a lot and gets a really pleasant wall of sound kind of quality to their songs and has a real intricacy there. The National stuff, which we both have a huge affection for, their music really speaks to a bunch of gifted guys in a studio creating these soundscapes. Whereas The Slackers sounds more like a big band of really talented, tasteful musicians playing t- and writing a song together mm-hmm. yeah definitely but i just can't tell you how many times i went like mm, that's tasty oh yeah and i can hear all the different uh different layers all at the same time working together in like everything about this album is chill even the fast songs are chill like it's fast but it's still chill um and at the end of the day my only other com- not really complaint more like a lackluster observation call it i feel like some of the writing was dark, some of it was cool. Mostly it didn't jump out at me. Like, you listen to, and now this is a high bar, sure, 
you listen to Earth Tones by Bahamas. Yeah. You can't listen to it and not hear the lyrics, right? No. With this album, I didn't really hear the lyrics hardly at all. I mean, I could sing it, but I can't really just like sit down and tell them to you. So I looked up some of them when I'm preparing, and I'm like, all right, this is fine. It's not amazing, but it's, it's decent. But it really does fail to jump out at you like a great lyrical album would. I um, think that it... When you, you know you found a really amazing lyrical album when you accidentally memorize the lyrics to, like, every song. Yeah. And this ain't it, Chief. No. But that's okay. It's not... Uh, it doesn't have to be. It's not a bad, bad uh, writing exercise either. So, overall, I would give it a great, a clean bill of health. I'm going to keep listening to this album. Um, I listened to it enough to give this review, but not as much. I'm not satiated. I'm not filled up on it yet. And so I want to do that and go back and so maybe I'll listen to some of their older stuff over the next couple of weeks and that'll be in like our opening recap, I hope. Okay, our next our next uh, review is something with significantly more literature related to it. But first, in terms of Oh yeah. I can't remember. I know it's 40 I want to say 43. Let's try it. <laughs> okay, welcome to the Legend of Zelda shop. This is not the same one. Welcome to your weekly dose of the Gabber Jabber. This is the part of the show where we hand select a Canadian Netflix recommended movie. It's not recommended by Canadian Netflix, but it is on Canadian Netflix and it is recommended by us for you. How long is this gonna? Just put it down to a nice background level and keep it going. Put it down to like three. Yes. Okay, so, this uh, this time on the Gabber Jabber... Uh-oh. Okay, it loaded, thank goodness. I was booted out to the mm-hmm. to the home screen, and we've got terrible Wi-Fi. Or no Wi-Fi at all. So today, I think... Do you have any uh, recommendations? Because I could recommend. Um, actually, I did one of the most classic movies of all time, like to the extent that most people have probably seen it. Um, but I don't know... Has it been on here for a long time? We've never recommended Jaws, have we? No, it hasn't been on for very long. So here's the thing. Here's my 30-second uh, review max of Jaws. Actually, it's not even really a review. I didn't get around to, to watching it until two or three years ago, and it was a much better movie as like a good actual movie than I thought it would be. I thought it was going to be spoofy and lame and like classic, like Sharknado-y kind of. But I'm like, this is a stand-up film. It's not... I don't think it's one of the greatest films of all time, but I feel like you kind of owe it to yourself to watch it. It's fun, and if you haven't seen it, it might surprise you as being, like, better than you think. There... The thing about Jaws, it's a brilliant, small-scale thriller. Yeah. That never, you know, it never tries to do something like, the shark is attacking the Empire State Building, you know, get the the choppers in. Uh, helped massively, of course, by the terrible prosthetics of the time. The shark looked really fake and terrible when you just saw the whole thing, so they only showed it in little bits and pieces. Which they do a good job of avoiding in this. Big time. Um, I saw clips from, like, Jaws, I don't know how many Jaws movies they made. It was, like, three or four or something, and it showed, like, this prolonged scene of a shark, and it looked just horrible, and I was like, thank goodness they didn't do that in the original, because they showed a little bit at taste if they hadn't done that in the original there wouldn't have been three of them or if they had sorry yeah um i personally would also recommend 
Source Code, uh, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. I mentioned it already. If you're looking for a fun way to spend a couple hours, it's kind of a sort of a time travel thriller with a couple refreshing twists in there from, like, say, a movie like Johnny Got His Gun, uh, which I have not seen. I don't plan on seeing, but, um, but yeah, it's it's a fun it's a fun movie. It's a great action movie, and it has a premise that it deals with quite well with very few like cheesy moments in there. So that would be my recommendation. Thanks for listening to the Cabra Jabber while that god-awful music played underneath us for like all of five minutes. Okay, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Do you want me to go first? Do you want you to go first? Do you want me to predict what you're... You predict and then I'll start, but you can jump in. Sure. I predict that you liked it, but you had big problems with it. Let me read the first line of my review. The first line is this. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a great movie. However, there are some big problems. I must preface this by saying <laughs> that I really did enjoy this movie, but there were some nagging... No, I'm, I'm making that up. That's not actually what it says. Um, and you're actually not very correct. Uh-oh. Um, I do have to preface this discussion review, whatever we call these. Oh, um, wait. Are we going to read the Wikipedia entry for it? Oh, yeah. Just the... Hit me. Watch this. Read. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a 2004 American science fiction romantic comedy film written by Charlie Kaufman and directed by Michael Gondry. It follows an estranged couple... Mm, how much do we want to read of that? Is that all good? Um, I think... Like, this is all premise. Okay. It follows an estranged couple who have erased each other from their memories. Don't read that. <laughs> That's a kind yeah. of spoiler, isn't it? Okay. So essentially, I'm gonna just gonna do it in my. Own. I'll say the ensemble cast includes Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, Kirsten Dunst, Mark Ruffalo, Elijah Wood, Tom, and Wilkinson. Tom Wilkinson. That's who I couldn't think of. Um, so I guess basically the star of the film is Jim Carrey, is this kind of socially inept dude who meets this woman, um, like opening very opening scene of the movie, and is uh, enthralled by her despite her obvious. Um, idiosyncrasies like her addictive personality and and stuff like that whereas he's more of like a, a kind of like a nerd i guess um not necessarily a nerd in terms of like computer stuff but just in terms of carrying that persona um and what you learn very quickly without getting into spoilers is that um there is a company that operates that can remove people from other people's memories um and that's the plot device that kind of propels the movie forward and I guess this is the a central issue with this movie is that it's very difficult to speak about many specifics without getting into spoiler territory since the entirety of the film is predicated upon subverting expectations. And that's a really pompous sounding sentence. Yeah. Um, the best part about the movie is that it surprises you. And I do want to kind of preface this review by saying that I think that any discussion around this movie that features somebody who's only seen it once, which is me, can't really be even close to definitive, not that any of our reviews are, um, because the movie is so layered, it's so nuanced, um, and as I kind of sat there and typed my notes up, I was left with the feeling that I think there's a lot left on the table for me to go back to. Although I totally understood it, I just think it's the kind of thing where multiple viewings would really bring out different 
things. Once you finish the movie, it almost feels like, okay, I'm ready to watch the movie now. Mm -hmm. But the essence of our podcast, we sit down at a table and we pick a couple things and we say, did I like this? And I loved this movie. I think it is so cool. Oh, phenomenal. Um, I'm so glad you liked it. Let's see. I think I'm going to speak in kind of generalities without doing a super crappy review because you guys just got to watch this movie is at the end of the day, you could probably just turn it off now. You definitely don't need to hear Grant's review. Um, (laughs) Just go watch it. No, please stay. Don't go. Um, Like Grant and I were saying to each other earlier off mic, it's amazing in of itself that Jim Carrey is so good in a dramatic role. The last time I was surprised like this, and it was a bigger surprise last time, was Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a better movie but than the, this, the by the way. It, that, it's a better movie. The surprise this. of Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love is that this guy whose whole career is on the back of being like deliberately obnoxious, that he can play somebody who you actually have kind of like an affection for and you want to root for, even though he's pathetic and somewhat obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Jim Carrey tremendously gifted actor even in his early comedic right stuff like ace ventura or dumb and dumber you know but but this is just so outside of anything i'm now okay i shouldn't say i'm sure he's probably done other dramatic stuff before that i've just never seen right i'm trying Um, to think of the one zootopia no I'm, i'm just kidding don't hate don't send us letters over that one but anyways without dwelling on that too much jim carrey's performance is stellar i know that sounds weird but get over it you're just gonna have to trust me on this one or just go watch it for yourself um likewise the performances by the rest of the cast are fantastic i mean i just wrote down some of the cast here they're they're really all fantastic i think a standout for me actually was uh elijah wood (laughs) is kind of a secondary i mean he's in the film heavily but he is a kind of a secondary character and he plays this guy who you're not necessarily supposed to hate, but you're just supposed to be intensely annoyed by him, really. He's just kind of this weedly little dude. Yeah. Um, and he nails it. Uh, he's just really hard to be around <laughs> while you're watching Some, the movie. For whatever reason, there it was something in the air when they were filming this. And the best in all these actors was really brought out. Absolutely. Mark Ruffalo, who I think is horrendously underrated as an actor did show like incredible nuance and humanity in a role that in any other movie that you know that kind of compute squinting at a computer screen scientist dude yeah would have been an incredibly one-dimensional character that's what he really and i'm sure the script is a little bit like that but uh I was reading on Wikipedia and it said that Mark Ruffalo had a lot of the ideas for the character, like that he should love the clash and look kind of like Joe Strummer in his kind of attire and his Mm -hmm. mannerisms and that sort of thing. So I think Mark Ruffalo added a huge bright spot to what would have been the movie's low point. Yeah, that's a good point. But I think the cast is, I can't, say unsurpassed or anything i can think of precious few movies with equal casts and equally strong performances everyone's pulling their weight and more yeah which is actually not very common even in great movies there are usually a few people where it's like eh, you know it's whatever it's serviceable but everybody here that i can think of is really actually fantastic but i think that 
probably the <laughs> what? I was just remembering. Uh, what's his name? David, uh, the guy who's in Arrested Development, who's in this, who's in Eternal oh, Sunshine. I don't know his name. Tob- um, Tobias from Arrested Development. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but that guy and his wife, like with their awful relationship, and he's always smoking oh, yeah. weed. They're freaking hilarious, and like real David Cross, uh, and uh, and Carrie Aiken. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh they're they're both like they com- are hilarious. Like they're spot on. They're so funny. But he plays a very different role than in Arrested Development. Yeah. For sure. Very, um, very different. Is it Tobias? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He's um, the never nude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wears small denim shorts all the time. Oh, you gotta get back into watching <laughs> that show. But I think um the most impressive part about the movie, and it's something that very few movies have attempted to do and even very and even fewer movies have succeeded at is that it treads this really fine line and it does it impeccably and the line is this on one side of the line you have shattered expectations you have a plot that's twisted completely into knots and and uh, one of the most complex narrative structures just in terms of what happens when without being spoilery i don't i think that's fine um, and and leaving the viewer very confused temporarily. Yeah. But then on the other side, you have ultimately undoing the knots and tying bows on the narrative and what I would interpret as allowing the viewer to come to their own conclusion about what happened when really what you're doing is like secretly passing notes through the screen so that they come to the correct conclusion. There's this, there's this incredible bell curve of confusion that takes place in this movie where during the first third you're really not there's not you're not asking questions about anything you're seeing which is excellent that's kind of imperative that you not be confused and going wait what's happening during the first third of a movie because if you are you're gonna get frustrated and then in the second third of the movie you are totally you're you're you know the movie is out to lunch you have no idea the pieces are all mixed up and then when it resolves it's it resolves with such a clarity and with such an understandability that it's almost emotional you guys just have to trust us on this you have to trust charlie kaufman that it's gonna work out i was plus or minus halfway through kind of thing and i paused it to maybe get a snack or something i don't know just for a couple minutes but grant came in he was like what do you think so far and I said, it could really go like one of two ways. It could be that they tie everything back together and it's it works out. And it could just be another Field in England situation. And a Field in England is a movie that I despise <laughs> because you can't figure out what's going on. You have to do extensive Googling. And even then you figure out maybe what happened. Yeah. And I understand that, but that doesn't jive with me. And I was... I gave this movie a 50-50 shot when I was halfway through. Like, maybe it's going to turn out, maybe it won't. And I just can't say this enough. The way that they take what seems almost, like, unredeemably confusing, and then half an hour later it makes perfect sense, is actually a work of art in of itself. Just that experience that you go through mentally is, like really incredible and like you said it really makes you emotional just like 
I put here, I don't know if this is the right way to describe it, but it seems to me it would be appropriate to say that it is an epic on a macro level because the movie doesn't have uh, earth-changing implications. Like, the story is very small scale. But when you, when you, well, hang on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but at the same time, when you finish it, you sit back and you go, like, look at all that we just went through. Isn't that incredible? Um, and, of course, the the company, like what we said already, the company that erases people from people's mind could obviously have world-changing implications. But I'm just saying the the story that we're in. I wasn't I wasn't thinking so much that, but for me, I know that if I watched this movie a year or two ago, I would have seen it very differently. Now, being somebody who's in a good relationship with somebody who I care deeply about, and we have our ups and downs, of course, like any relationship does, watching a movie like this really just resonates on an entirely different level uh, than it would have when I was, you know, single and ready to mingle a couple of years ago. I would have watched it and been like, yeah. But then you watch this movie and I'm not going to spoil the, like, kind of climactic conversation because that would be, like, terrible of me. But it makes you just go, you know what, um... Those those who you love, those who you're in a relationship with, who you're committed to, you know, commit to them, commit to their flaws, and uh, and just and and love them with a kind of almost blind tenacity, you know. And that to me was it was profound in in and of itself. I mean, it's nothing I didn't know or nothing you haven't heard before, but it's presented in such an elegant and deft way that it just strikes you on the back of the head kind of out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and that gives me i have two or maybe it's three i don't know more thoughts on this and then my review will be concluded um i think it's actually also astonishing how well this movie works as a piece of social commentary or with elements of social commentary because I don't think that's its purpose, and it is certainly anything but forced down your throat. But I think that um, what this movie says about our relationships and our um, desires to be to have these no strings attached relationships and the implication of that um, is kind of profound. And it's amazing when you think about the fact that this movie was not made in an age of uh, of Tinder and stuff like that. Yeah. Because it really seems fitting for that kind of... The societal shifts that we've experienced are probably beneficial to the viewing experience, which mm-hmm. is actually pretty cool. Um, the other thing... I'm just trying to say this without like spoiling anything. Um, I think that it applies... I totally hear what you're saying... But I think it actually serves to set you up for thinking about relationships in general and not just relationships, but experiences and your memories in general, because the movie is all about memories. That's the subject of the movie. And um, it really makes you evaluate yours and maybe realize that not only do we not only do we take 
relationships and experiences and things like that for granted, but we also take the memories of those for granted because that's worth something too, which is pretty cool. Um, so I think at the end of the day, I want to watch this movie like a couple more times. I want to watch it again in the next couple days. As, like as soon as I have a couple hours where I can just do that, I want to watch it again. Um, but I think it'll be in the pantheon of my favorite films of all time. It's incredible. Like this is, I mean, we've reviewed some, some bangers on here, like Embrace the Serpent and Apocalypse Now, you know, are two, I think two of the best movies ever made. And this is maybe not quite up there, but I would say top 25 for sure. Yeah. It's really special and I could go on about it for a long time, but just, just watch it. Well, I totally, like I... I totally agree, and I'm I'm much more acquainted with the works of this of this screenwriter Charlie Kaufman, who is one of the. I keep meaning to watch Memento. That's Charlie Kaufman. No, no. Funny um, you should mention that actually. Although it is, I mean, it's a similar kind of meta sort of idea. This movie was supposed to Charlie Kaufman was supposed to be writing this movie for a long, long, long time, and then Memento came out. Oh really? And totally scared him off writing anything on the subject of memory for a while because I guess you know when you hear Christopher Nolan's working on a movie about oh, that's memory Christopher and, Nolan yeah and you're working um, on a movie about memory you probably kind of quail a little bit <laughs> yeah I mean I know he did adaptation which I wanted to see I don't know why I thought he did memento I guess just and he did th- being John Malkovich yeah that's the right. three that I've seen and I will tell you right now I have really enjoyed each one I think I think that uh, Charlie Kaufman is the most individualistic and experimental screenwriter in who has achieved a kind of rock star status in the film world. Maybe not in the film world if you're watching... Let me just adjust the mic here. It's really bugging me. It's kind of sagged. Maybe not in the film world if your primary, your primary pleasures are Avengers and other... You can find his name on Netflix, though. Yeah, and other corporate you know behemoths like that but if you're into watching good movies <laughs> then uh then charlie kaufman is kind of uh, the patron saint and i think he can be almost irredeemably pretentious and uh insufferable was that him who was on Carmona Mayo? Yes. who said he that he did a movie called anomalisa and they explained to one of the leading film critics in one of the, Britain's national treasures and and one of the top film critics in the world they literally explained to him in dummy language how film works which is that it is a series of still images strung together to create the illusion of movement oh thanks which guys. was one of the most awkward things i've ever heard on on anything just like you know yeah. then there's a pause and they're like yeah <laughs> um so anyway i I have, as a writer myself, I have this unparalleled respect for Charlie Kaufman. He is, he is almost frighteningly intelligent in the way that he puts a story together. Uh, adaptation, you know, is is so meta that the character is literally named Charlie Kaufman, and it's the story of Charlie Kaufman trying to write a script for a movie, but instead. This, the movie he writes is a movie about him writing a, writing this other movie. It's like it's it's almost literally impossible it's to explain. Unbelievable. And uh, being John Malkovich is a film about 
the B-tier actor John Malkovich, who, if you go- stop right now and Google Recently John... Recently seen in Bird Box. John- yeah, if you Google John Malkovich, he's the kind of angry, surly, bald guy in Bird Box. If you Google his name, his face will pop up and you'll go, oh, he's that guy from that thing. Which is the whole joke throughout being John Malkovich, which is a a movie where an accountant in this really weird accounting agency finds a portal into the mind of the B-tier actor John Malkovich. I want to watch it, but I don't know if it sounds good. It's so weird. It's like I enjoyed it because it was so weird. But um, other people might just find it really tiresome or, or overly weird. Not But um, anyway, I'm not talking about all that. I just want to say I have a huge amount of respect for Charlie Kaufman, but he can be a little dicey sometimes. That's like but that's the because Coen. he, t- that's he takes... like the Coen brothers. They're the best, and they're nice guys. They they take... Yeah. But, you know, Charlie Kaufman has taken big risks, big artistic risks, and he has a massive amount of artistic integrity in terms of the movies he puts out. He's really not conforming to anything, and this is no exception. However, any plot summary for this movie reads like a list of everything that i find irksome and tiring in a movie one you got a quirky love story with a wacky mismatched couple at its center two you've got a central gimmick involving memories and or time travel either the two this one is memories and three a mystical vibrant kind of female lead who's smart and she's quirky and she's fierce and impulsive and she dyes her own hair all of those things are like red flags to me, but they're, they're handled, you know, with this completely unique and like you're two thirds of the way to Scott Pilgrim versus the world of that story. Exactly. Although Which Scott, is a great movie. Scott Pilgrim versus yeah. the world is incredible. I just want to say that that's a great movie. Um, the first thing to grab me in this movie, I'm surprised you didn't mention it was the editing. There's so much I didn't, I could mention the score. I could have mentioned the editing. I could have mentioned the cinematography is so good. The score sometimes, sometimes that's all you can feel when you're watching it. Sometimes it's there, but you don't even notice it for the first like minute because it's just like this undertow that pulls you through. I left a lot of stuff out because it's all there. Um, don't worry, I'm getting to pretty much okay. most of what you just said. You left out. So the first thing to grab me, like I said, the editing. The there's a use of practical sets which kind of collapse into and onto each other in a way that really serves for the future device of the story these memories and how memories kind of are strung together and how you know you tell a story first you're there then you're there you know what i mean there's and uh the second thing to grab me was jim carrey's performance uh is there truly a more versatile actor because i can't think of one who does this incredible extreme over-the-top comedy and then does something as as solipsistic and melancholic and in a lot of ways weighty as this performance is. I truly, I sat and thought for a little while if I could think of an actor who's more versatile than that. And you could say, oh, Daniel Day-Lewis. But you can't because everything Daniel Day-Lewis is in, though it may be funny on some, some level, has this kind of, extreme drama to it and daniel day lewis is probably a better actor but carrie's range is really startling uh and it's also startling too that i mean the guy god bless him never really intended to be part of hollywood became in his heyday 
literally the highest paid actor in Hollywood, which I didn't know. He was the first person to make more than $20 million for a single movie. Huh. For and, what movie? Um, that was uh, probably The Mask or Dumb and Dumber. One of the two. Because Ace Ventura Pet Detective was hit like his first or second movie. It was his breakout performance. And he like just was an overnight mega star. Like his rise to fame is really interesting. I was reading about that. I read an interview with him because now he's pretty much, he's almost a recluse. He Ooh. sits around and paints a lot and draws Trump satiric, satirical cartoons about Donald Trump. So his and my political beliefs are clearly not closely aligned but i have a massive amount of respect for the guy he's super weird now and he just really doesn't give a rip about what hollywood or him or... on comedians and cars getting coffee was so good yeah he climbs over he has a gate and he just like climbed over the big wall right beside the gate for his house and uh and he's actually coming in september to do an episode with us no, I'm just, what? no, I was, at, when I started that sentence, it kind of, I could tell you were almost shocked when I said that, but anyway, yeah, I reached <laughs> yeah, out to I Jim was, Carrey. I was totally like, also, oh, no way, in, term, in terms of the, the people I would love to have on the show, he's like way up there. He, he would. The Coen brothers would be my top guest. Coen brothers would be awesome. It would be the They're good also, brothership, but it would just be them. Yeah. The, <laughs> that would be amazing. Anyway, um, he's coming, he's returning for a TV show called... Dang, I can't remember what it's called anymore. It's a single word. It's kind of a weird word. He plays a Mr. Rogers style like children's entertainer whose like private life is falling apart and he's having like these like angry outbursts and stuff. And uh he's trying really hard to keep it all inside and that sort of thing, which is <laughs> really analogous to his life and where he is right now. He, he was this goofy dude and now he's kind of done. He's separated from that. But anyway, I digress. Carrie's performance is like outstanding. Kate Winslet's performance is so freaking good. You don't yeah. even notice that it's Kate Winslet until you go, oh, who? I wonder who that is. And then you Google it and she, she's the one from Titanic. What? You know, she is she is superb and also equally as flawless as Carrie. And also just, an, an incredibly accomplished and highly awarded actress in her own right. Can I just be honest with you for a second and say that I know Kate Winslet was in the Titanic. I know she was in this movie. For some reason, I hadn't even been like... I just hadn't even thought about the fact that she's the she's Rose as well as Clementine. Yep. Like, I know that, but I had not thought about it. You hadn't made that in the no. bridge? No. It's crazy. Like, she... Her... Yeah. She is She is phenomenal, and she is completely spotless. Her as a sun, sun mind or whatever. <laughs> As a what? Eternal sunshine. Spotless as a, she's, as a sun mind. She she's is. as spotless as a sun mind. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> like, is that something? I feel like I'm stupid this whole episode. Is this just another artistic thing that I haven't heard about yet? Anyway. And and Mark Ruffalo, like I said, is amazing. Tom Wilkinson's great. Kirsten Dunst is great. They're Elijah great. Wood's great. Like you said, the entire cast is really firing on all Who's cylinders. Who's the old dude? Who's the doctor? Tom Wilkinson. Okay, Tom Wilkinson. Apparently, also, is... he had a terrible time while filming that. He hated the movie. Really? He hated working on it. His performance is so good. He's great. He's Maybe. perfect. Yeah. Everybody's perfect in this movie. And uh, David Hayter, whatever. It's definitely not David Definitely Hader. not. Cannot, for the life of me, Cross? Yep, no? David yeah. Cross. Yep, that's right. 
Okay. The script and, and the tertiary characters are all odd and somewhat stilted and weird, but that really fits with the weirdness of the plot and the visual trappings. The whole movie is consistent like that. You don't have, like, kind of this corny... Like, the script is far from the Coen brothers' level of realism, you know, uh, who I would I'd consider the Coen brothers or Paul Thomas Anderson to be, like, at the height of a script where you, you read the script and you go, yeah, I've heard people say this. People could say that, yeah. You know. In um, reality, you probably haven't, but they sell it pretty well. Yeah, well, 100%. And this is not one of those movies. Characters go on long, inter- uninterrupted diatribes against each other, and holy... I just burped. I'm sorry if you heard that. But the film is completely cohesive. It never, quote unquote, breaks character. Yes. I was just thinking, I was just going to interject when it was pertinent that like the whole film is almost what you could call like counter realistic, where in some ways it's actually the opposite of how things actually happen. But that serves to shed light on your actual life, which is kind of cool. And and let me just interject too. I now know. Have you heard of the this premise of the manic pixie dream girl? No. Okay, so that is a premise in the film world, where our dull male uh, protagonist meets this vibrant, unpredictable, crazy girl who dyes her hair and stuff, and she turns his life upside down and teaches him about living in the now and being spontaneous and all this stuff that he could never learn on his own. That is a, what? Literally all, I, this is so such a, all I was thinking of was in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the scene when Knives shows up at the door and he dives I out think the window. They, I think they probably mention, because, because, uh, who is the love interest? What's her name again? Ramona. Ramona, Flowers. right. She, she also is a, sarcastic version of the manic pixie dream girl and so is clementine created and this film was written and released actually before the phrase was even coined so there's a bit of like excellent uh ahead of the curveness here i guess in this movie where he takes that trope and flips it and goes actually she's a bit of an alcoholic actually she's emotionally unstable yes she's spontaneous and uh fun-loving and vibrant and you know turns his life upside down but she's also kind of a terrible self selfish person in a lot of ways and that that's just incredibly smart and incredibly thoughtful of him to to throw that in there with these characters that have actual tremendous depth without without us ever hearing you know oh you know let's have a moment of expositional dialogue where i tell you about my childhood growing up and how i didn't have a great relationship with my father you know we moved around a lot dad was in the army all that sort of thing. You you never get that that moment that pulls you out of the characters and makes them makes them feel like constructs. Uh, and then the last thing I, I the last note I made was on the score. The score is amazing. This film garnered actually a huge amount of plaudits specifically for the score and specifically for the film's centerpiece song, which features Beck on the vocals. Uh, and why is he so good? Everybody's got to learn sometime. That's that's, the... that's one artist that we've never touched on this show. I know that we got to touch. We really do. He's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and and that song, uh, which I'm sure you can hear in your head now, um, this really slow, sad song. It is the perfect musical crystallization of the film's emotional heart to me. 
Um, it's bitter. It's so. It's such a bittersweet tune. It's so lovely how it's performed, and it's so rare that you get a song, a lyrical song, in a film that fits as well as this one does. And yeah, I think th- I think this movie is completely outstanding. I put off watching it for a long time because I thought it sounded tiresome. It really does, and it's really not. And it is instead really vibrant and very beautiful and wonderfully acted. The sets, the effects, everything are seamless. They ran into a lot of like production issues. Um, the director, Michael Gondry, got literally uh, reprimanded in front of the entire crew for being unsafe because they... I'll tell you more about this later, Jason, after we stop recording, but there is a certain set where a building collapses and they literally wanted, they literally, they didn't want to animate it. They literally built a building on the beach and just let it collapse as the tide came in. And the, they hired all these, all these tradesmen or whatever to come and do it. And they all refused to do it and left. And so the whole, the whole crew, all of them just did it. Just like tore down a building? No, they didn't tear it down. They built right. it oh, on the beach okay. so that it would collapse as the tide came in. They literally, they actually yeah, that is that. terrifying. Um, and then he got like stood up and reprimanded in front of the whole crew by like the head of health and safety or whatever, which is hilarious. And they use things like wheelchairs as dollies for the cameras. They were, there was a lot of improv in the movie apparently. And they, due to the nature of that, they were shooting tons of footage, like, all the time. They had two handheld cameras for an almost 360-degree scope because it was so unrehearsed. They, there were no marks, because I, I don't know if the, the listener knows this, but it, when you're filming something, there will be, like, a piece of tape on the floor or something. And they'll be like, okay, you walk to this mark, and then you say your line. There were, like, no marks anywhere. And they're using like all practical sets and stuff, like actual houses and whatnot. You gotta wonder how it turned out as well as it did. How did it? It's like Apocalypse Now. The production is like a yeah. was, sounds like it was all over the place. It was totally ramshackle and running gun and like unprepared and all that sort of thing. And then you emerge with this absolute beautiful masterpiece. And I do think that it's a masterpiece. And I do think that it's Charlie Kaufman's best film. Uh, and, uh, it is his most, um, profitable film that he's ever, he's ever made according to Wikipedia. Michael Gondry's second, I don't know what the first is, but yeah, it, it truly, it truly was a really special experience for me. And I might, I might even rate it higher than Punch Drunk Love. Uh, I have to, I know I said Punch Drunk Love is better and I would stand by that for now, but I will also say that I really have to watch this movie a bare minimum of one and probably more times before I can really say that. Yeah. Because I've probably watched Punch Drunk Love four or five times. I think I think the biggest thing about this the fi- this film is how it just has, like we were talking about that bell curve of confusion. First, third, everything's hunky-dory. Second, third, you have literally, like, you have literally no idea what's going on. Actually, the opening of the movie, you're like, fine. And then a bit and you're like, oh, this is different. Yeah. But you didn't think that it's actually going to, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, It whoa. descends into mania and you've got no idea what's taking place yeah. when, and then it resolves at the end. And, and that intellectual resolution is so profoundly and deftly handled that it crosses over from intellect to emotion. I still, I do not mean to belabor the point, but I straight up, like in the simplest of terms, I just can't believe 
it worked like from the height of the they had a long way of to the fall. narrative chaos yeah. kind of thing i'm sitting there as the viewer not that i wasn't enjoying it because i was but i'm just like i don't see how this can end properly and then it does and you're just like what yeah it's genius level filmmaking it's beautiful you really don't have to be an art film fan to appreciate it and you don't have you certainly don't have to like romantic movies to appreciate it because i really don't generally they're really pat and really boring and really like irksome. unless it's paul thomas anderson yeah not interested yeah anyway that's been us Jason said before we started recording that we he felt like he had a nice, concise, short episode in, in in him today. This is one of our longest episodes probably we've ever made. And uh, yeah, go go listen to the Slackers. It is worth it. And please, for the love of all that is holy and cinematic, you have to see Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Honestly, by whatever means necessary. I sw- if okay, I will make anybody who's listening right now which may be two people if this doesn't go up on iTunes or Stitcher or anything. Mm-hmm. But I will personally, if you go and, you know, you're in America or whatever, you can't find this if this movie's not on Netflix, and you go and you rent it for three or four bucks or whatever, and you really do not like it, I will I will PayPal you that money. This does not apply to our listeners in France. Does it? Yeah. I yeah. will. I, if, okay. anybody, if anybody watches uh, this movie... And you send me a screenshot or a picture that you have you have rented it because I'm not just gonna give away money. You send me some sort of proof that you've rented it, and you say I watched this movie. I really didn't like it. Why did you tell me it was good? I will pers- I will. I swear, I'm not full of garbage. I will PayPal you that money. Can back. we at least set an expiry for like March 31st, 2019, so we don't blow up and then in five years we have like 10,000 people who do that? Yeah, as long as we're unpopular. Yeah this this offer stands <laughs> perfect okay well i felt pretty good about that episode jason join us next time as we sing o solo mio <laughs> i we don't know what we're going to be covering in the next episode i like the idea of beck but we should i think that beck released an album called colors and i think it might have come out last year i think we missed it oh so we could review that. We could review, you know. We're gonna we were gonna do our 2017 recap soon. Mm-hmm. We got Morning Phase by Beck, which is a, apparently a great album. Mm-hmm. I've only listened to once or twice, and uh, yeah, we got lo- we got loads of stuff. We really do want to do a Beatles versus Stones episode sometime because I've neither of us have ever been I've Beatles had fans. Been on my phone for like a month, and I always pull it up, and then I'm like, like I've done this like four times. I pull it up and go and listen to it, and I'm like, nah, I can't do it right now. <laughs> Not, we we both have this kind of, I'd say, a nebulous prejudice against the Beatles. Yeah. And the Beatles, uh, part of it's definitely people love them so much, and the other parts that they're just like Sesame Street songs for people who grow up in the flower power generation. And I have like this massive, humongous wellspring of love for the Rolling Stones. So it would be awesome to do a toe-to-toe with, say, let, we could even just pick their two most popular albums i don't know what that would be and just uh probably started pepper's little either... club band no abbey no, road no. it's white a, album? it's either gonna be the white album or abbey road i guarantee it i love the album art on sergeant pepper is so cool though it's uh, like all their album art's awesome the, the white abbey... album eh. that's a great idea 
for the so? time? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. How do you catch somebody's attention when all the records in the store are vibrant colors and stuff? I guess that's true. Release a single pure square of white. You know. And did it have an official title? I don't think so. I think it was just no. like called the White Album so that we'd have something to call it. it. That's only in retrospect that yeah. it's been called the White Album. I think it was just album. like untitled, yeah. basically. Yeah. Which is like it's awesome. I guess that's pretty It's cool. totally awesome. It's just like what uh I can't remember the hip hop artist who released an album that was like just a blank like a just a jewel case with nothing on it. I'm like, cool, but the Beatles totally now, did that first. The next logical step to take that would be to release an album. But there would just be nothing on the album. Yeah, it's just a blank album with like five tracks of silence. And the only person who would be a fan would be Joseph Burgle. <laughs> in some ways, in some ways, that would be like a good artistic statement. If you're like, here's what people, I'm going to make an album that's about all the, all the things that people are saying in art. And then it was just like five tracks the, of silence. The, the thing to do, the purest artistic statement would be to release an album where the first song is a song and then you've got like nine songs that are just silence and just talking about how the album's dead and singles are all that anybody listens to anymore that which is like, true that's, that's if, not a bad you, piece of art to make if you listen to artists if you listen to music by the song you are dead to me hear me out very carefully on this you are dead to me absolutely dead to me there are a, a select few artists that where I'll listen to their greatest hits album. Yeah. The Rolling Stones is actually one. Totally. Um, Percy Sledge. That, that's different. Percy Sledge is another one. You, the the Bing, the crooners, the Bing Crosby's, the Frank Sinatra's of the world, I'll listen to like uh, the best of Bing, Bing Sings. It, it, but, you know, it, that's different than if you go into your Spotify artists and then just hit shuffle. And just listen to whatever oh, comes up. You're into just taking a bunch of really carefully crafted pieces of artistic statements and like, just homogenizing them and just drinking the slurry. Like I'm just going to take uh, potatoes and celery and, and fruit loops and flour and fruit loops and orange juice. I'm going to put it in the blender and I'm going to shove it down my fat face because I don't know how to cook. Yeah, because I, I have no, good I have like. no appreci- appreciation for skillful cuisine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to just like... take a salmon filet, a bunch of Kinder Eggs, and like a ball of <laughs> yarn, and I'm going to blend it up and or, I'm going to eat it. Or you get people who are like, I'm song people, so I pick, so it's like, so what? Instead of having a lasagna, you just crunch on some noodles. Yeah, on the dry. Eat some cheese. <laughs> suck back some tomato sauce. Crunch on some more noodles. Yeah, but the the difference is they'd be eating the raw lasagna ingredients interspersed with, like, chugging back, you know, cheap chocolate and box wine because I yeah. like all of these things. Why can't I just mix them together? It doesn't work like that. Yeah, I like unless it does. For I you. like rainbow sprinkles and uh, a good salmon fillet. And a good salmon fillet, but I'm not about to sprinkle sprinkles on my salmon fillet. And for all you who, all, all you out albums, there who are, lasagna. all you out there who literally can't hear a single word Jason's saying, that's because he just moved off of his chair. He's now laying on the floor. I don't know why. I thought. Okay, I honestly thought that we were just gonna cut all of this. No, we're then, not cutting it. No. Okay, I thought we were, but then when we started talking about uh, people who don't listen to like albums, I was like, "All right, this has to stay now." So, I don't, I don't even care if you, if you sometimes shuffle all your artists. That can be fun and refreshing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, 
If that's all if you that's do, facto, if I went on your iPod and I and it was like you have two songs by this guy and four songs by this guy and an album by Taylor Swift because I like Reputation, then like, oh, I I would absolutely, I would fight you in the street. I'm back. Let's take a second to talk about Taylor Swift's <laughs> alcohol references by album. So there's a sweet subreddit. And I've gotten into Reddit really in a big way in the last few months. Late bloomer, I know. There's a sweet subreddit called Data is Beautiful. And it's just people who graph different things that they find. Or not necessarily graph. People who um, make data easily understandable. Did you, you say data? Data. <laughs> That's what I call my father. <laughs> um, <laughs> people who make data. <laughs> data. <laughs> Thanks, Cody. People who make data easy to understand. And one of them was just a simple bar graph, and it was just the amount of times Taylor Swift mentions alcohol or drinking or or whatever um, by album. And it was like zero, zero, then maybe one or two. And then is her latest album Reputation? I have no idea. um, On her latest album, it spiked to like 10 plus references of alcohol. So I don't know what happened with Taylor Swift if... I don't know if she's okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if she's one of those boxed wine people. But either way, I just think it's really funny that she was like, this was never her thing. And then all of a sudden she was like, no, let's talk about sangria. But we can't say too much ill about Tay-Tay because Way With Words was her fourth most listened to song of last year. Which outs her as a song person, which means I'm going to shoot her in the knee. But here's... Here's the thing, though. It's not like, actually. I'm not going to harm Taylor Swift. It's like, just because I love Ansel Adams. Wow, I thought that you were going <laughs> in a totally different place. And I was about to be like, Jason, this is not the podcast for that. Okay, let me just try to bring that back. There is absolutely just, no bringing just, that back. Just because, Ladies and gentlemen, this has been... No, no, you can't. Just you just I, made your point. I it like was Ansel Adams and Annie Leibovitz. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Good Ship Brothership. We're Doesn't so make sorry. me a better photographer for listening. So if Taylor Swift has a good taste in music, she might not be a good musician. Ansel Adams. <laughs> <laughs> the photographer... Famous, <laughs> famous for his work in Yellowstone Park. <laughs> I love Ansel Moon, Adams. Moonrise over Hernandez, anybody?